0: Church, Charlotte. Chapter number 8, verse number 38, 34. When Jesus had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, "Whoever, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever desires or whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present present with power. All right. Let's, let's, let's pray together. And, uh, we will, we will dive into this passage here. Uh, Lord Jesus, I'm praying for your uh, wisdom to speak to us in this time we have together. I'm praying that the word of God would live in our hearts, live in our minds, live in our spirits. Uh, we humble ourselves to the word of God. We do not present ourselves as, um, experts or scholars, but we humbly come to the word of God and we open it with a desire to understand not just your words, but your ways, not just to understand uh, your demonstrated power, but to understand your heart. When power is demonstrated, everybody desires it. We are like the The man in the new testament who wanted to purchase it when we see power we instinctively understand power and we desire that power now the truth is the human heart would misuse power and all the story of human history is a continuing picture of humanity misusing power even when the reason for their claim to power was intentionally good it is soon misused thus the story of religion is oftentimes filled with an ugliness filled with a historical shame because we are not well suited to hold power so you showed us how you might work on our behalf while laying down power and you went to the cross and allowed transgression, sin, evil to be done against you and in so dying you lived and in so losing you won and you invited us to learn and to follow and to deny ourselves and become more like you in our way and in our journey. Let the word live within us. We want to understand the words, yes, but we also want to understand the ways of God. We also want to understand the heart of God, your heart. Speak to us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this moment is uh, not accidentally placed in the scripture. Now let me give you a real quick overview of chapter number eight. We are presented with the feeding of the 4,000 in the first 10 verses followed by a request for even more demonstration. The Pharisees ask for a sign in verse number 11. The Bible says, testing him. Jesus refuses to be a a traveling Disney show. He refuses to be the FX department. And he sighed, verse number 12, we did a whole Bible study on this uh, uh, back when we were in Mark chapter number eight. He sighs deeply in his spirit and he says, with this sigh, uh, why does this generation seek a sign? Um, as if to say, why is it that what you want is entertainment? Why is it that what you seek is demonstrated power? Why can't you have a heart for the things of God? Why can't you have a heart for the ways of God? Now, all of this is compressed. All of these ideas are compressed in the giving of Mark chapter number 8 which we want to understand, we want to grow from, we want to embrace. Uh, and so here we are uh, now arriving at verse number 13, having refused to give the disciples what they're asking for. Um, he warns the disciples against that style of following. Um, in other words, if you require um, fireworks to follow, uh, then you're. It's as though you're in the way of the dis, of the the, the, the Pharisees. Uh, don't be like the Pharisees. Uh, don't seek the sign for the sake of its uh, in entertainment or for the sake of its uh, how shall we say thrill, the titillation of your emotions, the chill bumps on your spine. All of that has its place. We are emotional beings. We need to worship God in and through our emotions. And if we were in church, I'd make you all say amen. Maybe you could say it real loudly to your house. I'm sure your house needs to hear you say amen. We need that. We are emotional beings. But don't be like the disciples and come for that reason. Now, at verse number 22, we find that Jesus has gone to Bethsaida. He heals a blind man. And he asks this question, having demonstrated this miracle before Bethsaida, he go, goes to Caesarea Philippi and here a crucial, crucial moment. Uh, the question to the disciples, who do you guys say that I am? Am I just a faith healer to you? Now, remember, why were the, uh, yes, it's in God's heart to bless, to do the miraculous, but why are you following him? Now, remember this, this is all coming as a chapter. Why are you, yes, the Lord will feed those who are hungry. Yes, God will heal those who are sick. Yes, God will open the blinded eye, but why are you following him? You see, the Pharisees were following, and it's obvious in the text what they're interested in. Jesus refuses that way of following. So, Remind yourself of this. God loves to bless. God loves to heal. But why are you following? Remember that theme. It's going to explain the end of the chapter with a clarity, an insight, and a depth that is often missed if you just rush through the reading of the text. This is all taking you somewhere. Mark is not just writing as a witness. He's also writing as an anointed communicator of God's word. All right. It's in God's heart to feed the hungry. It's in God's heart to heal the sick. It's in God's heart to bless. Why are you following? Is that enough for you? Or would you like to be like him. Is the miracle enough or would you like to be a follower? Is the sign enough or would you like to be a follower? Do you see how these questions are couched, placed, demonstrated for all of us here? Uh, It's in his heart to bless. It's in his heart to feed. But why are you following? Is it the show? Is it the entertainment? Is it what's in it for you? Or is there some hunger within you That says it's not enough to receive what God can give me. Notice that. It's not enough to receive what God can do for me. I want to know him. Remember a couple Sundays ago, I preached a message. How do I know if I'm in love? I didn't have time to get into this because alas, I only have, what, 40 minutes on Sunday. Um, But here comes an essential element of how do you know if you're in love? As long as you care more about what the person can do for you than you care about being unified with the person, the less likely it is that you are in love. And the more likely it is that you are simply using them for some other purpose. Let me say that one more time because it's a couple ideas pressed together. Um, the more likely you are focused on what the person can do for you. It's like dating somebody because their father is uh, your boss. Do you, are you in love with them or him or her, or are you looking for what can happen to you in uh, your career? That that's a simple idea. The more you want what someone can do for you, rather Than being with that person, the less likely you're in love with them and the more likely you are a manipulator of them. It's in God's heart to bless. It's in God's heart to strengthen. It's in God's heart to heal. Why are you following? Um, And so Jesus, having presented this as a living lesson to his disciples, calls them away, Caesarea Philippi, And he introduces them to some really bad news. Whatever they thought the kingdom of God was, it wasn't that. Whatever they thought their future looked like, it looked different. Whatever they thought was coming next was not what they thought. It was a surprise. And he begins to ask them this question. Look, I know who other people say that I am, but who do you say that I am? You have the power of declaration in your life remember one of the original uh gifts of sovereignty given to adam and eve was that they would define the identity of the garden in which god had placed them what did god give them to do he gave them administrative duties they cared for the garden that they could not create they could not create it, but they had responsibility to care for it. Number two, they identified it. They named it. Language was given to them, or let me say it differently. Identity, the power of identity was given to them. I'm going to preach about that soon because the Lord's been dealing on in my life about that. The power of identity was given to them. So here comes this important question. Who do you say that I am, Peter? Peter. Who do you say that I am, John? Who do you say that I am? If you do not get this right, the things that are coming next will not matter. It won't matter if you pass the test or not. You haven't understood divine identity. They have to pass this test. And uh, Peter answered, and we talked about this, all this is being compressed together into this ending of chapter number eight. Who do you say that I am? Um, You can respect a lot of people and not want to live like them. Um, You can respect people you do not like. Uh, You can respect people um, that has a gift you don't have, that's doing a work you can't do. That doesn't mean you're going to lay down your life. The disciples have to get this right. If Jesus is who he is, As he is, it changes everything about the life I am willing to live. Now we're getting close to the end of chapter number eight. What kind of life are you willing to live in your journey of walking toward the Son of God? What kind of lifestyle are you willing to embrace as you walk toward the kingdom of God? You see, if this is a type of religious, how shall I say, uh, way, a manner of being, uh, kind of like, an, here's a $5 theological word, an ontology of self. Um, in other words, just a manner of being. Um, if that's what this is, it's gonna you're going to have a hard time laying down your life. If this is just a thing that we do here and, you know, the the buckle of the Bible belt, we're going to have a hard time laying down our life. If Jesus is just a teacher, it doesn't make sense for me to say what I have to say to you. This now is getting close to the core of the issue. And this is what I want so much to get into my spirit and have overflow me and get into your spirit, and overflow you, and get into our families, and get into our neighborhoods, and get into our church and our worship service. Everything that we're striving to do, because what Jesus is going to ask us to do is going to make no sense whatsoever unless he is the Christ. You see, Jesus is not just a good philosopher. Why? He claimed to be the son of God. And so if you think of him as a philosopher, then you are basically couching him in the label of a liar. He claimed to be the son of God. If you think he was, uh, you know, if he wasn't that, then he was, you know, a madman. He, he He was insane because he claimed to be the son of God. If you want to take him as a religious figure there, you will never get to the end of chapter number eight because you will have failed the test at verse number 29. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is going to make radical claims of my life. Jesus is going to make radical claims upon your life. He is going to invite us to follow in such a path that only makes sense if he's the Christ. If you think he's just, you know, A philosopher, there's no point in going further because he's about to ask you for everything. That is why you see the process of spiritual preparation happening in the disciples. There's no point in getting to verse 34 to verse number 38 if, or in in chapter 9, verse number 1, if you fail the test of verse number 29. Who is Jesus to you? If he is the son of God, if he is the son of God, then it would make sense for him to die. Peter's not going to understand that. Peter is going to say, far be it from you. Jesus is going to say, get thee behind me. You see, he cannot understand the consequences of Jesus' living a perfect life on our stead, and he cannot understand the consequences of Jesus dying a righteous death that we cannot die. He cannot understand it. Now, he in faith can see the identity of God and still fail to see the ways of God. There's so much here for us to apply in our life, so much insight here for us to apply in our own spirit and in our own mind. If you make it through Mark chapter number eight and you agree with Peter and you say, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, you are now ready for a very important decision. If you haven't gotten to that point yet, there's no point in you asking yourself this question. There's no point in you Standing to receive what Jesus is going to say. You have to believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. Or this next step is going to make no sense to you. Because the next step is what? The next step is my life following him. My life in discipleship. That means I seek to live my life in such a way that His name is glorified through me, and his heart is demonstrated through me. And there's only one way that can happen, and it's not through knowledge. Knowledge is good. We pursue knowledge. But knowledge is not how we follow. Even through a type of spirituality, that is not the first step of following. There's a lot of people who don't even believe in Jesus who uh, seek to live in the spirit realm. And they, I am sure, to varying degrees of success, access the spirit realm because spirits seek abodes. Spirits seek open doors. And if you seek it long enough, um, there will come a day when a spirit will test you and see if it can take up residence there. The first step, the first consequential step of Jesus being more than just a prophet, but being the actual Christ, God incarnate in the flesh. The first step is for us to deny ourself, turn away from self, to take up our cross and then to follow Him, Whoever desires to come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, this goes against the self. This goes against the flesh within. This goes against the ways of our human reasoning. It is the self within us that is the enemy. And it is the self within us that exalted itself against God in the Garden of Eden. It is the self that joined the Lucifer way, the gospel of Lucifer. God's just trying to keep you down. You can can rise up, serve yourself. And they follow in the Lucifer gospel. That is why rebellion wrought the condition of sin. Sin. The world we live in is not the world as God intended it or made it, but it's the world that we made through our competition with God and the elevation of self in his, in his as it were, in his face. Uh, and so Jesus starts us. If you can believe that Jesus is Christ, and you know, if you can't, honestly, there's no point going any further, but if you can, it has consequences. You need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross and you need to follow uh, after the Lord. I heard one Bible teacher say that discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. (laughs) Now, that is um, humbling and terrifying because uh, there is no risk of Jesus being me and there's no risk of me being Jesus. However, like a star on the horizon, There is a call to me to be more like him. There's no risk of me giving him any competition. (laughs) That's never going to (laughs) happen. But what I can do is take my next step in his direction. I hope you heard what I just said. I can take my next step in his direction. Pray with me right now. I feel the spirit. Lord, I pray that we would, all of us, get beyond the self-defeating habit of trying to imagine ourselves in some future state of uh, great victory or great accomplishment, um, we oftentimes can daydream ourselves into some state of a future uh, maturity. Um, and by daydreaming about the future, we don't have to take the hard step that's right in front of us. Because the truth is, oh God, My next step needs to be in your direction. My next step, such as it is, needs to be toward the cross. It needs to be away from self. It needs to be toward the cross, oh God. And I'm praying today for the zeal and the passion of your kingdom to live within me. Let it live within first church, oh God. Let us not fall into a, a habit of a cultural style form of devotion, but rather let us deny ourselves take up our cross and follow after you in jesus name we pray here is a truth that i want all of you to uh, apply to yourself in prayer if you will Um, it goes like this um you cannot let discipleship be an option in your life and say you're a christian just because the world calls you a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Let me take, let me bring this home. I cannot make discipleship optional in my life as if I'm a churchgoer and sometimes I try harder than others in my real life. A church is an aid to my discipleship. Church is not a replacement for my discipleship. Church is the manner whereby I am joined to a body of Christ and I am... I bring my imperfect soul and self, personality and abilities to other imperfect souls and selves. And we discover friction between us and iron sharpens iron. And by being willing to reconcile myself to people who are unlike me, by being willing to see the good in people that I don't like their personality, I show a necessary humility That becomes a testimony in my life and becomes my first evidence to heaven. Having forgiven others, I can receive forgiveness. Having included others, I can be included. Having enjoined myself to others, I can be enjoined to the kingdom of God. What I cannot do is isolate myself and then expect God to forgive me when I won't forgive others. The first step is mine. It's a small step. It's not the answer to sin in my life. It's the answer of charity in my heart. Will I accept other people? Will I forgive other people? Will I include other people? Will I turn against my own self-preferences? You see, if I won't do that, then I haven't even begun to deny myself. You see, the first and easiest act of denying self is including others. Now, there's harder things to come in denying self, but the first is whether or not I can open up my heart to other people, whether or not I can include other people. And so church aid in an aid in my life to discipleship. The church becomes a tool to discipleship. The church becomes an assistant to my discipleship. But the church is not a replacement for my discipleship. I can go to church and fight with everybody from Florida to Maine. I can go to church and hate everybody from California to Carolina. You see what I'm saying? I've seen people do it. I've probably done a little bit of it myself. Um, These things are aids to me. I'm going to say it this way, and I want you all to put this in your prayer. Discipleship is not optional. It's not as though I go to church, that makes me a Christian, and, you know, when we do prayer and fasting, then I work hard on my discipleship. No. Um, (laughs) There is no Christianity without without discipleship. Uh, So let me say it this way. When the church becomes an end to itself, it ends. And when… Sunday school becomes an end to itself, it ends. And when small groups ministry becomes an end to itself, it ends. And when the worship service becomes an end to itself, it ends. All of these things are tools. And what do they do? They assist me toward the ultimate Christian purpose and calling, which is what? I become who Jesus would be if he were me. Or let me say that in an easier to receive manner. I take a step in that direction. What would Jesus look like in my shoes? I'm never going to be that person. And if I give you that standard, you all just want to toss your hands and quit church. Yes, me too. Um, but what I want to do is take one step away from self and toward the high call of, uh, that is in uh, available to every believer in Christ Jesus. Um, we must be transformed And this process is active. This process is fluid. This process is moving. And ultimately, we get to the hardest stage of discipleship, which actually is not just opening our heart to other people. There's something harder than that. And that is living our lives for other people. A lot of churches won't even open their hearts to other people, much less live their lives for other people. A lot of Christians won't even open their hearts to other people, much less live their lives for other people. I hope this is striking home. I can't read the end of Mark chapter number 8 without discipleship getting a hold of me and shaking me like a terrier shakes a toy. (laughs) Uh, It shakes me and my spirit because there's something harder than opening my spirit to other people and that is living my life for other people. Um. And yet this is what Christ shows us. First, he denies himself. That's how does that look in our life? We open our hearts to other people. Then he takes up a cross. What does that look like in us? Living our lives for other people. Um, uh, All of us are different. All of us have different races, um, different backgrounds, different nationalities. Um, all of us have different personalities. Uh, your life, you are surrounded by people who you actually can reach in spite of your personality. The Lord has fitly prepared you to reach a subset of the people in your life. Don't let your Im- excuses impress you. Take up your cross. You see, that is living your life for others. That is the cross in your life. Um, opening your heart to other people, that's a step away from self that's denying self, but making disciples, that's taking up your cross. That's living your life, uh, for other, other people. Um, here's a reality that should put us all into prayer on a regular basis. and, and, And that is this, um, there's a lot of Christianity that does not involve being transformed by the life of Christ Jesus. Um, very few of us, when we start are at any risk of, um, lifestyle transformation. Most of times what we have is emotional experience. Some people never grow beyond emotional experience. Um, this is what it means to drink on milk forever. I want to be clear. I'm not against emotional experience. I'm for it, I'm emotional, you're emotional, we need it, we all began there, do you see? But an emotional experience is not transformation. Transformation happens in the nitty gritty of your life. It happens not with, are you ready for this? Spiritual experience, it happens with spiritual disciplines. Nobody's excited about that at all, I totally understand. Transformation does not happen through experience It happens through spiritual disciplines. In fact, the final act of transformation is impossible to receive without spiritual disciplines. Why do you think they tarried in Jerusalem for days? Why do you think Jesus said to tarry until they be endued with power? Let me refer you back uh, to uh, the end of uh, the passage we read, which is actually Mark 9, verse number 1. And Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. Some people um, misinterpret this because scripture interprets scripture. And they think that uh, this is a statement of of rapture. Um, This is a statement of the day of Pentecost. There are people here. They will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. What did Jesus say? Uh, say to the disciples to go to Jerusalem and tarry until what? They be endued. They host the power of God, thus becoming the kingdom of God. The church becomes the kingdom of God here with power. All right. So I just want to make sure all of us understand verse number one of chapter number nine. The final transformation in our life is not before spiritual disciplines. It's after spiritual disciplines. That's why on the day of Pentecost, that final act of transformation uh, is when they speak with a heavenly, a heavenly tongue. Uh, let me end with this. Um, I, I, I deeply believe that there is something almost scary when a group of people start taking self-denial seriously. Um, I think it really gets the attention of hell. Um, More importantly, it really gets the attention of heaven. Uh, When people really get serious about prayer, prayer matters, my brother, my sister. If my people, this is a conditional statement. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my face, I would hear from heaven. I would forgive their sin. I would hear their land, heal their land. When a group of people get serious about prayer, um, there is something uh, that begins to move like a force of great waters in the spirit realm. When a group of leaders in a church begin to really embrace the seriousness of their spiritual call, and they are willing to really begin to turn away from self, And take a step toward the spiritual realm. Um, I think something begins to happen in the spirit. That will be contested. It will be contested by the enemy. But. um, We do not live in fear of the enemy. Because. When enemy contests God's people. It almost is a. uh, Early sign. That even the enemy knows that you're making a difference. As long as the church doesn't make a difference, uh, I believe the forces of the enemy in the earth, such as they are, such as they express themselves as principalities and powers, um, I believe that they will leave us quite well alone. They don't care how much we sing as long as we stay inside our church. Um, they, don't, they, they actually don't even care how much we pray as long as the prayer is centered on ourselves. And it's not birthing a revival in the earth. That's what prayer does. Um, but when people begin to take it seriously, uh, it will be contested. But on the other side of that spiritual contestation, there's a two dollar word for you. On the other side of that spiritual conflict, uh, on the on the other side, there is real difference in the earth there is real making of disciples there is real spiritual momentum there is real spiritual transformation um there is real generational christian success the most important and necessary thing that christians do is to make disciples so remember earlier when i said um The first step we make is to deny ourselves. That's when we open our hearts to others. Um, We accept people who are different than us, different preferences, everything, but we say, look, the least we can do is open our heart to others. God begins to knit us together. We begin to do life one with another. We begin to experience friction, iron sharpening iron. We begin to encourage one another. We begin to see each other in pains and sorrows, and we rejoice in the joy and we weep in the sorrow. We begin to do life together. That's step one. That's denying self. Self will always make enemies of anybody in your life who in some way you dislike, disapprove of. Uh, You have some root uh, growing within you of racism. You have some root growing within you of malevolence toward someone you don't like at work. You have some root growing within you of superiority complex. Um, all of that is the choir of hell singing you into spiritual sleep. You, you deny yourself. You're thankful when you eat with the tax collector. You make time for the woman at the well. You don't worry about what someone's going to say. Um, you open yourself to others. Uh, but that's not, that's not where disciples are made. Disciples are made when you begin to live your life for others. You begin to serve them. You begin to teach them. And you begin to fulfill this passage that the Lord will explain like this. First, I'm going to read the passage. Then I'm going to explain it. Uh, I'm going to use the words of the Lord to explain it. And I'm I'm almost done. Uh, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the journey. That's our next step. That's our call. And then Jesus is going to take a moment to explain it spiritually. He's going to say this. Uh, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is, I believe him pointing out a central truth as though Jesus said, look, you sinners are living with death. This is the world as you made it through spiritual rebellion. I created you for eternal life. It was sin that made you live with death. The person who is living their life for others does not know death. It's the person who lives for self that knows death. This is a throwback all the way to first principles from the Garden of Eden. The Lord really originally created us to be complete in community. Not to have this uh, wars and rumors of wars and hatred and strife and competition and me first, you last. Um, That's all the result of sin. And when Jesus says, if you want to save your life, it's almost as though he's saying, would you like to live your life the way I intended for you to live it? I need you to deny self. Take up a cross of purpose, living for others. That's how it was meant to be our life toward each other, not our life toward ourselves. And so then he says this, verse 36, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What happened in Eden? They lost the life as the Lord intended for them to live it. They weren't created to live in this hatred, striving, fighting, dying. They, didn't, they, they weren't created to live that way. Um, What can you give in exchange for your soul? Would would you like to get back to the way you were intended to be and finally have enough spiritual completion in your heart to where you can live with the reality of not just knowing my word, but knowing my heart? Would you like to be one with me, the Lord? Invokes upon all of us and challenges all of us. Uh, This is my way, Jesus says. And then he makes something very strong. It's as though, look, I'm not expecting to understand this, but this is my way. This, this, this is how it's going to be. This is what it means to be a Jesus follower. This is what it means to be a Christian. And if you can't deal with this and you try to make a Christianity out of self, I'll be ashamed of you. You'll be ashamed of me. I'll be ashamed of you. This is the way Jesus says, walk ye in it. And so when I read this, I look at my life. And the first thing I want to say is this, I got a lot of work to do. I'm so far from being like Jesus. Um, If you were standing by Jesus, you couldn't see where I'm at with the telescope. I'm that far away. I've got that much work to do. Now, I can set myself up for failure by focusing on all of that. Or I can ask myself how to take one step in Jesus's direction. How do I take one step away from self? How do I take one step? If I can't live my life for others, can I at least open my heart to others? Can I stop this tongue? Why is the tongue can no man tame? It is the expression of self. (laughs) It is that critique. It's that, like James said, not all of you should be teachers because a lot of you can't keep your mouth shut about stuff that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. So you talk about everything and you have an opinion about everything, and you set your world on fire, and pretty soon the whole house is burned down, all because you couldn't keep your mouth shut. Our tongue (laughs) is the enemy, and it works against and it harms. That's enough. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm praying today that we would have a heart toward real Christian discipleship. I'm praying today that we would have a willingness as believers to humble ourselves and call upon you. Lord I want to pray I want to confess let me say uh, this first reality of my life and that is this I have so much work to do it's just it's, it's haunting would you give me strength to take one step toward you if I don't know exactly which direction you're in let me start by taking one step away from this carnal self that's always singing Lucifer's doctrine me 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 more for me serve me bless me self will turn the tables and ask you to serve us rather than us serve you so I'm asking today Lord Jesus having looked at this closing verses of Mark chapter number eight that you would awaken within us a passion for selfless living number one intentional giving we deny ourselves. we take up our cross Teach us how to make disciples. Teach us how to turn away from self. Teach us how to live our life for others. And by so doing, join our way to your way, our hearts to your hearts. So you would not be ashamed of the type of Christianity we proclaim that is Christianity and label and Lucifer's gospel in living. Save us from that, Lord Jesus. Stir us, challenge us. This is the hope. This is the promise that you are with us, that you meet us where we are, not where we wish we were. You meet us where we are and you take us one step at a time. And we pray for that in our church. We pray for that in our ministries. We pray for that on the First Church ministry team. Let us live it out. Let us demonstrate it. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you today. Amen. God bless you all. We love you. We appreciate all that God is doing in your life. We continue to pray for all of the needs. We will be in early prayer tomorrow, 6.30 to 7.30. You're welcome to join us there. Um, we will send out another text. Um, you can look at the text you got on Monday uh, for that link. If my people... Will humble themselves and pray. Uh, that's always a good first step. God bless you. We will Sunday. I've turned your mics back on so you all can greet one another uh, as you uh, as you check out. Um, we love you all. God bless you. Uh, have a great evening. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them.